Hey, this is Jason from Slapdash, and this episode is sponsored by 606 Iron, located in the Big M Plaza in Whitley City, Kentucky. 606 Iron has cardio equipment, free weights, numerous weight training machines, weekly kettlebell classes, and tanning beds. Stop by 606 Iron for membership information or call 606-310-4918. History, art, science, and everything else. They slap down a new topic and dash off to the next. It's a great big world with so much to know. Like cryptids, time travel, and the history of Poe. If you want to be a smarty, better learn something fast. With Shannon and Jason on Slapdash Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking all about the science of astronomy. Across from me is a man who has recently discovered a new comet and who is a significant advocate of NASA as well as the popular game Space Invaders. (laughs) Shannon Deaton, how are you today? I'm doing great. I named the comet Slapdash. I thought that would be appropriate. Is that okay? That's 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 good with me. I'm actually looking to my left over here. Uh, you know, we're at Slapdash Central right Central. now. Central headquarters. Headquarters. Manor. Slapdash Manor. <laughs> the Slap Cave. <laughs> and good. I see and I see a a homemade and and when I say homemade, I mean basically this looks like it was manufactured in a in a company somewhere, right? Right. But you have handmade this Space Invaders like tabletop arcade game. And it has like how many hundreds of games or thousands? I mean, it says Space Invaders, but it has like everything. Yeah, Yeah, it just has all those classic games on it. Space Invaders is one of my favorite games of all time. I wish wish everyone could see this game because, you know, obviously we're talking about astronomy today. And and so when I was writing the introduction, I I always remember looking to my left and seeing the Space Invaders (laughs) game over there. And I thought, I'm going to bring that in the introduction today. I want to challenge you to a game of that when this is over. We're we're just going to see who can get the high score on Space Invaders. (laughs) I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be you i play some asteroids too <laughs> do i have to bring my own quarters or yeah you just pay me <laughs> you just pay you directly <laughs> that's how it works so shannon astronomy is the branch of science uh, which deals with celestial objects space and the physical universe as a whole pretty simple definition but that's a whole lot of stuff to talk about there's a there's a bunch of stuff up there and huh? there's a lot of science behind all that yeah and i am highly unqualified to do <laughs> to to do this but uh but i i'm a, a big fan of uh, astronomy science i love i love reading about it highly interesting so hopefully we can do this justice yeah Wh- whoever enters the slap cave too automatically gets an honorary phd in whatever topics being discussed oh day. yes so, yeah i have many yeah you're you are qualified for astronomy today <laughs> at least for the next like 30 minutes right you can do it yeah <laughs> so all right <laughs> Before we get into the content today, we would first like to make a special dedication. So, Shannon, would you do the honors? I would love to. So, we have a couple, uh, and the wife reached out to me, Koo and Beza, and she has a special marriage anniversary 11 years, Jason, that she wow. wants to uh, happy wish anniversary to her, to her husband, Eddie, and that's awesome. So, to Eddie, Kuwin wanted to say... To my soulmate, my biggest support, and my best friend, I couldn't imagine my life without you. Thank you for a crazy, beautiful 20 years together. And thank you for our two boys who think the world of you. I love you to the moon and back. Happy 11th anniversary. How cool is that? That is really sweet. Yeah, and in fact, Kuwin actually inspired the idea for the episode here today absolutely yep Uh, you had uh, contacted me a few days ago said that she had contacted us and here we are 
here we are. Yeah, she she said that she and her husband like to go on road trips, listen to podcasts, and one thing they're really into is kind of nerding out about space, and we all share that similar passion. So, Jason, are you ready to nerd out about space? Uh, sure. I think you just called me a nerd, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, ha- happy anniversary. Yeah, happy anniversary, guys. And, and I hope you enjoy this. So our first topic we're going to explore deals with the speed of light. And Shannon, just in case that uh, you are not as big a nerd as I am, the speed of light, uh, you may ask, well, how fast is the speed of light? Let me get my calculator out here. It (laughs) just always happens to be in the palm of my hand at convenient times. You need to get a big calculator. All right. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Man. So that's hard to even, you can't really even fathom that in, in your mm-hmm. mind, really. Nope. Uh, this fact has always amazed me. So imagine that you are on a top of a mountain right. and the sky is absolutely beautiful, just dancing with twinkling lights from the stars. Now we understand that those tiny dots of light are actually stars that are millions and millions of light years away. And of course, that's another term, uh, a light year, the distance that light travels in literally in a year as we think of it right. time-wise. But what is fascinating to consider is that that light that we are seeing is actually how the star looked in the past. Uh, as fast as light is, it does take some time for light to travel. The light we are seeing from these stars was actually projected from the stars years and years ago. So really, when we gaze upon the stars, we are literally looking into the past. Another example of this is the light from uh, our own sun. According to scientists, it takes light from the sun approximately 8 minutes and 20 seconds to reach Earth. So the sun that we actually see in the sky in actuality is the sun as it really appeared 8 minutes and 20 seconds ago. I love that. I've known that fact for a little while. I couldn't remember the exact amount of minutes, but I, I think it's so cool and Maybe cool's not the word, but <laughs> it's so interesting that if the sun were to just cease to exist, and if uh, obviously if that didn't cause all sorts of gravitational issues, which it most certainly <laughs> if would. it was like a light switch, right? <laughs> That's right. And they just turned it off. If they just turned it off, all things being the same, it would take us eight minutes to notice it was gone. Isn't that fascinating? It's just so bizarre to think about that. It sure is. You know, but but uh, but yeah. So that's that's definitely one of the uh, the uh, cooler topics when we talk about when we talk about astronomy. Yeah, pretty cool. So Jason, up next we have the place where most of all this resides, at least the stuff we know around us, and that is our own Milky Way galaxy. That is my number seven favorite candy bar. Is it? Yep. Number seven. What's number one? Uh, probably watch them call it. Watch them call it. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you a fan of uh, Snickers at all? Snickers probably in top five. Yeah. yeah I'm a big list guy. I don't, if I've, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that or not. <laughs> As we speak, Jason has his <laughs> list of candy bars that he's just pulled from his pocket conveniently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have an episode on candy bars folks should check out. But That's right. The Milky Way is more than the name of, of, of a uh, deliciously scrumptious candy bar. It's, it's the name given to the galaxy that contains our solar system. And it's not alone. There are several other galaxies out there. From Earth, the Milky Way appears as a hazy band of light formed from stars that cannot be individually distinguished with the naked eye. The term Milky Way is a translation of the Latin Via Lactea, and I'm sure I'm saying that it with you know all fluency just just perfectly <laughs> via lactea you know which comes from the greek phrase meaning milky circle <laughs> there <laughs> okay that makes that makes sense i can see that yeah yeah i, I like that our galaxy is made up of about 90 percent dark matter which is matter that cannot be seen and about 10 percent luminous matter which is what we can actually see with our eyes there are about 200 billion stars billion 
in the Milky Way galaxy. Because you know that shocks me because I actually counted about 198 billion. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, so you were off. Just I missed a, touch. a few, missed a few. <laughs> and of course, all of those are not necessarily visible with the naked eye. But having 200 billion stars makes you classified as a medium sized galaxy. There are some out there that have trillions of stars. And the largest galaxy we know of called IC 1101. No, I was going <laughs> to I was going to say it's called the Three Musketeers galaxy. Uh, and it has 100 trillion stars. 100 trillion. I, I can't even think about it. And we had what, in terms 200 of billion. 200 right? billion. Yeah. Wow. So a few more stars out there, but even 200 billion, that, that seems like a bunch because when you think that we have one star at the center of our solar system and here we are, you know, inhabiting with, with life on Earth, you just start to wonder about the possibilities. And we've talked about all the, the strange things that may or may not be out there in the deep reaches of space, but it's, it's kind of interesting to right. think that with like, 200 billion possibilities just in the galaxy we live in you know for for other planets right. to develop life or has or to be something they, out there gotta be man somewhere must be yeah there's some little bug crawling yeah on a rock i'm thinking more like somewhere. like the jetsons <laughs> possibly <laughs> yeah just out there on their own planet yep. astro elroy judy the whole gang man it's been a while since i've thought about the jetsons we should do a show <laughs> on that Although you can probably imagine in your mind what you think the Milky Way galaxy looks like. I know we've all seen the images. A lot of times they're on textbooks and things like that. The image in your imagination is likely at least partially incorrect because we can't actually take pictures of the Milky Way galaxy since we are 26,000 light years away from its central point. Any representation that we've ever seen is either a different spiral galaxy, which we can directly observe, or an artist's depiction. So when you think about Milky Way galaxy, what do you what do you think it looks like? What do you imagine in your mind? I always uh, kind of imagine the the uh, the spiral. You know, I mm-hmm. think most people have seen that. And then also yeah. there there are some uh, photographs of like you know if if you're out like in the desert and you look up and you can see the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, oh yeah, they call it. you know what I'm talking I've about. Seen those pictures. It's yeah. sort of that real milky kind of like mm-hmm. line, sort of like in in sure. in, uh, in in the the uh, night sky. That's sort of I guess what I think of. You mean the Via Lactea? Yeah, sorry. Sky. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. I'll, I'll <laughs> forgive it this once <laughs> now jason the milky way doesn't sit still it is in constant motion in fact everything in space including all the galaxies are constantly moving the earth moves around the sun the sun moves in the milky way and the milky way cruises through space at an estimated 1.4 million miles per hour can you can, do you feel that right now i mean we're sitting at a table i don't feel anything but that that does blow your mind when you think about that i mean the, i mean the 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 earth is spinning right and then yeah. we're also you know revolving around the sun right and then us and the sun are both hurling through space it's, you know there's there's Her, a lot hurling of is an understatement <laughs> yeah basically i don't get on roller coasters that that's well documented i hold i hold purses that's is where what, you draw the line is what i do right i right. hold i hold my wife's purse as she gets on the the roller coaster yeah so uh, i'm very thankful that we cannot uh, feel all this movement <laughs> yeah me too so some say and this is a whole different topic for another day and we covered <laughs> this in our conspiracy of uh, outer space episodes but some folks say that because you can't feel any of that that it must not be occurring. Therefore, the earth is flat. <laughs> have you heard this before? I, I, ha- I have heard this. Yes, I absolutely have heard this. That's kind of wild. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of really interesting information out there about that. And I mean, honestly, when you read it, 
it does make you think. I mean, there's enough information where you really have to th- to really stop for just for a moment and and kind of reconsider everything that you know. Like it's <laughs> at the end, like when I go down those rabbit trails on YouTube, you yeah. know, when I'm finished, I'm like, sure. what is my name? You know, <laughs> is this my hand? You know, because I mean, like, is is any of this real? And what is life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get all get all philosophical. That's great. So, Jason, what's up next? Next up, Shannon, we have uh, black holes, and black holes are one of the cooler topics in astronomy. A black hole is a region of space-time where gravity is so strong that nothing, not even uh, electromagnetic radiation such as light, can escape from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, scientists believe black holes are created when very massive, these huge massive stars collapse at the end of their, their life cycle. And after a black hole is formed, it can continue to grow by absorbing mass from its surroundings. It basically just gobbles things up. Yeah. It gobbles up planets. It gobbles up other stars. So basically a black hole literally bends space-time due to its just sheer mass. And according to theory, once an object reaches the event horizon, are you familiar with, with that am. term? I think we've actually yeah. talked about that maybe in some other we have podcast yeah. so the the event horizon is uh really sort of the, the very beginning or kind of the the outer edges i guess of the black hole and sort of the point of no return right like once yep. light gets there it's it's over, it's over it's, with. like you're going you're literally kind of going into it right yeah and they are they are basically uh, if 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 uh, you were to see a picture if it were possible to see someone approaching a black hole, and then once they reach the event for the event horizon, it would it would look as though they're falling forever, hmm. which is which is kind of cool, and that's due to time dilation, yeah, which is a whole other topic. I guess we we can get into at some point, but uh, but yeah, that that's really weird. And so you know, you know, black holes obviously they're in movies. They're like in video games. Uh, a lot of people think that they kind of uh, connect them to, uh, it, it's a little bit different, but connect them to uh, wormholes right. where you're talking about like uh, interstellar travel, right? Where you go in you go in this side and you come out 20 galaxies away. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I think the movie Interstellar. That's a good movie. Actually, yeah. yeah. So uh, black holes have, have been around for a very long time in terms of like uh, – our basic understanding of them, at least by theory, and of course in pop culture and, and movies and those types of things. But but there is a, a lot, a lot of data to suggest that these things are real. And there's actually photographic evidence of certain celestial objects that are there. Now we're talking millions of light years away, nothing, right. nothing close to us. So you don't have to worry about like waking up Monday and there's a black hole. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> but there are things they can see that are slowly disappearing or like some mm-hmm. of the atmosphere being stripped from planets like over time into these things. And so that's, that's just, that's it's, crazy. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. When I was reading about the Milky Way galaxy prepping for this episode, they say that some scientists theorize there's a black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy, just a supermassive black hole. And they say that most galaxies do have some sort of supermassive black hole at their center, which is hmm. just amazing. Right. Just, just kind of crazy. So Shannon, what's our next astronomical topic jason our next topic is asteroids and we joked about the arcade game i I like space invaders space invaders (laughs) is better yeah i actually like galaga galaga oh i love galaga that's kind of the reigning champion yeah for me but asteroids are more than a classic arcade game they're actually minor planets and larger asteroids have been called planetoids i found that kind of cool yeah asteroids are leftovers of the early solar system 
The leading theory about how the solar system was formed is that the sun began as a compressed grouping of gas that eventually began fusing atoms and creating a protostar, which is just an early version of a star. Meanwhile, the dust and debris nearby the sun began to coalesce or come together, and small grains became small rocks, which crashed into each other to form bigger rocks. This process went on and on and on, and the survivors of this crazy, chaotic period of rocks just ramming into each other and becoming larger and larger rocks eventually gave us the planets and moons we see today, according to uh, leading theories. That's a lovely story. You think if we went outside and just kind of threw rocks together long enough, we could <laughs> let's, we could make something? Let's go out uh, outside of the, the uh, slap cave here and start just throwing rocks at each other, just laughing. <laughs> just see if anyone like you know calls the police on us. Maybe <laughs> we, we would laugh until those. We're just making asteroids. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> It would be funny. It'd be all fun and games until those rocks hit each other, and all of a sudden, something like Jupiter just appeared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh oh. We're just like, science is so real. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> but then Jupiter was flat, and then that made us, you know, kind of pause for a minute. We didn't think about it. <laughs> There'd be like a lot of people like, I knew it. I knew it all along. <laughs> That's it. Most asteroids we know about are in an asteroid belt. The asteroids in the asteroid belt are collected between Mars and Jupiter, and they might have formed into a planet themselves if it wasn't for the huge gravitational pull of Jupiter holding them in place. So there's this large stretch, uh, you know, like a band or or a belt of asteroids just held in place essentially between mars and jupiter now are those called the uh the van allen belts i don't know is that what it's called possibly seems like it i think i'll take your word for that yeah go with that that sounds good that's what we'll call it from here on out the term asteroid belt makes you think that the asteroids are sort of tightly packed together and if you were in a spacecraft it would require some crazy aerial maneuvering to avoid all the asteroids like in star wars what i've always seen that's what i imagine it's like oh no we're entering the asteroid field (laughs) and all of a sudden it's just like kick it into manual you know (laughs) they've been an autopilot (laughs) turn off the warp drive uh but there are usually hundreds or thousands of miles between individual asteroids so (laughs) So you could drive through them (laughs) you you really (laughs) could the stuff we see in in deep space on star trek and and things just not real unfortunately (laughs) right kind of breaks my heart here's a fun fact many asteroids actually have a moon or two of their own we often think of moons as things that orbit planets but asteroids also tend to attract smaller bodies that orbit them there are over 150 asteroids that are currently known to have moons of their own man gravity is a powerful thing it's a big deal it does some stuff huh i mean really crazy yeah, that is just crazy. That would be a good podcast episode in the future is just let's talk about gravity. Right. And that's all. That's all we do. <laughs> right. Gravity on Earth, gravity outside of Earth. Sure. It's That's wild. Have you seen the uh, the example that's usually used whenever gravity is discussed, like in college classrooms and things where you'll have like a, a trampoline? Uh, mat in the middle of a group of students and then in the center of that they'll place like a bowling ball yep right and if you can imagine a trampoline whenever the bowling ball is placed there it just sort of adds a little bit of an indentation sort of dips down it dips down and that's supposed to be a representation of space
space-time bending and right. gravity sort of bending uh, based on the mass of an object. Now, of course, all that's invisible to us, but seeing the trampoline is a, is a nice representation because what they'll do then is they'll take a smaller body, such as a marble or a baseball, and they'll sort of toss it out into the trampoline. And since that big bowling ball, which has a heavier mass, is in the middle, the uh, baseball or tennis ball or marble will literally kind of start to orbit yeah. The, if, the if it gets too, if it gets so close, right, right, it'll slowly start to pull it in. That's yeah. right. It starts pulling it in, and <clears throat> if if there was no friction, right, if if these were perfect vacuum space conditions and there was no friction to stop the the object from from slowing down, it would just continue in a, a perfect orbit right. around the object, just like the moon goes around the earth right. and so on. But I always thought that was that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. But Jason, you want to pause here for a moment and let's uh, you and I go play a quick game of Asteroids and uh, let our listeners maybe uh, check out the Slapdash store. Get my quarters ready. Here we go. Hey, everyone. We're happy to announce that the podcast now has a merchandise store. Shannon, everyone loves hoodies and everyone loves coffee. Yeah, and you can pick up a nice Slapdash hoodie or a Slapdash mug and drink your next cup of joe right out of a Slapdash cup. (laughs) We also have t-shirts and stickers. Yeah, we do. So come on by and log on to www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. That's www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. Welcome back. Uh, Final score of that one. Uh, Shannon, 47,000. Jason, 3,000. <laughs> so I guess uh, Shannon wins the the, uh, the Great Space Invaders War of uh, 2020. Yeah. Now I've got a pocket full of quarters, man. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you. Shannon, if we are talking about astronomy, we certainly have to also talk about some of the founding fathers of astronomy. So this is going to move a little bit more into the, uh, I guess, historical side sure. uh, or the uh, historical aspects of astronomy. So we're going to begin with Nicholas Copernicus. Uh, Copernicus was a Polish Renaissance era mathematician and astronomer who was born in 1473 and died in 1543. Copernicus was the first to suggest a heliocentric model of the galaxy, which simply means that the sun is the center of the galaxy and that the earth actually rotated around it. And that heresy. Was, that's just that's complete a, heresy, man. Back in the day, it sure was. <laughs> uh, this was the total opposite. How dare you? Of the <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast stones, but I'm afraid they'll coalesce into planets and there will be. <laughs> You're lucky I just didn't learn about asteroids today, Copernicus. <laughs> that's right. The uh, heliocentric theory that he proposed was was the total polar opposite you know of the uh, geocentric theory which had been widely accepted uh, you know since ancient times and uh, something I thought that was very interesting when I was doing some research on this is that Copernicus published his uh, his theory in his book on the revolution of heavenly spheres in in 1453 all right so I've, I've heard that book before but the uh, the interesting thing about that is that he published that just months before he died. So he wasn't around even for a year. I think it was just a literally a handful of months that he had officially published this theory, right? Coincidence or something more? I don't know, but it is interesting that uh, he spent his you know much of his adult life obviously uh, looking into this uh, theory, and then finally officially published this, and then months later passed away. That's it. Yeah. Wow. So Copernicus, uh, when you think Copernicus, think uh, heliocentric sun is in the center. And again, for us, that's like on every picture of the solar system. Yep. 
that you can find. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. anywhere on on the Google machine yeah. that you can get on there and look at that, or in textbooks. Uh, but that was truly revolutionary back in the day. I mean, they were like, no, 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 sir. The Earth is at the center, and he was like, no, no, no. And then a few minutes later, he died, and that was it for him. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The the thing I remember most about Copernicus as a kid growing up and studying science was his name, because in the textbook, I always pronounced it in my head as Copernicus. So I always thought his name was Nicholas Copernicus, which, which I think, to my credit, sounds a little cooler than Copernicus. Uh, Copernicus that to me. definitely, either that or it sounds like maybe a Disney villain. Yeah. <laughs> either, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Either or. Yeah, in the Pantheon there, you've got Ursula, Captain Hook, and Copernicus. <laughs> that's pretty good. I think I'll take on Ursula. Yeah. So, Jason, up next, we have a man named Galileo. And one name, I mean, his name is absolutely synonymous. With all things astronomy, <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, Galileo, Galileo. That's exactly. <laughs> I was thinking the Queen song, right? Yeah. Galileo, Figaro. Uh, so, <laughs> I digress. Sorry about that's that. That's pretty good. No. Uh, so uh, Galileo was an Italian astronomer, physicist, and engineer. He has been called the father of physical astronomy, the father of modern physics, the father of the scientific method, and the father of modern science. This guy is <laughs> he fathered a, a lot. I was gonna say he's got some. He's got some uh, scientific children. He sure there, does. Apparently. In short, Galileo has meant a lot to the world of science and to astronomy in particular, to put it very mildly. His influence is widely and greatly known. He invented a forerunner to the modern thermometer. He invented an improved military compass. He invented the design of the telescope. He advocated for the heliocentric model, which we discussed with uh, Copernicus, <laughs> uh, that the Earth revolves around the sun. And he discovered the four largest moons of Jupiter, among many, many other things. Here's a few facts about Gal- uh, Galileo. He first considered becoming a monk when he was very young and started attending a monastery. But his father, who didn't take too much to uh, to religion, discouraged this pursuit. So Galileo withdrew from the monastery. And when he was 16, he enrolled at the University of Pisa in Italy to study medicine. He became much more interested in mathematics than medicine. So he sort of shifted his focus over to that major. And arguably, the world is a little bit better off because he made that transition. However, as many uh, great minds sometimes do, I, I know we've talked about several on the podcast uh, who, who dropped out of college. Who was it? Mark Zuckerberg didn't finish college. Um, was it Steve Jobs? I want to say is either him or Gates who who didn't finish one, college. One of the two. One yeah. of the two. Uh, however, Gal- you know Galileo dropped out of college without earning a degree in 1585. Continued studying math on his own and returned to teach at the university in 1589. So four <laughs> years after he dropped out without a degree, he studies on his own, comes back, and becomes a professor. And basically at just the university. says. Uh, I'm smarter than all of you. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what happens. I don't have a degree, but I can prove this. Yeah. So get your chalk out. We're going to do some math. We're going to have, like a, have a math-a-thon. And it's like, I'll show them. All right, guess what, guys? Guess what's at the center of the universe? <laughs> but for his teachings, Galileo ended up getting a, a lifetime sentence in prison. This this was a big deal back oh, then. Oh, yes. You, you could not just run around no. and start making claims about what rotates around what. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, you were really speaking uh, against the most common, common basic yeah. religious beliefs. That's yeah. exactly what was going on. He was uh, Galileo was sentenced to life in prison by the Roman Inquisition. In 1616, the Catholic Church declared Copernican theory heretical. 
You know, so if you were to say that the earth revolves around the sun, how dare thou? Right. <laughs> how dare thee? Yeah. <laughs> thou shalt be dared, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you follower of Copernicus. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Galileo was given permission from the church to continue investigating Copernicus's ideas as long as he didn't hold or defend them, which I found really interesting. They basically gave him a license to keep exploring some of these uh, ideas that you said Copernicus provided right before he died. They said, sure, Galileo, go out. You study that, but I don't want to catch you defending it. I don't want to catch you saying this is what I believe, but if you want to go look at it, fine. Have at it. Just go check it out. In 1632, Galileo published his book titled Dialogue of the Two Principal Systems of the World. I think books had much more lofty titles back then. What do you think? Yeah, Hunger Games sounds a lot better. (laughs) I think that has a catchier title (laughs) to it. That's going to get your attention a little bit more. The Stand. The Stand. (laughs) Books like that sound better. That's it. The book was presented as a discussion between friends about the ideas of Ptolemy, which were the original ideas that everything revolved around the earth, and Copernicus. But the book was ultimately seen as supporting the Copernican model of the universe. As a result, that's a big no-no. The following year, Galileo was ordered to stand trial before the Inquisition of Rome. And after being found guilty of heresy, Galileo was forced to publicly repent and he was sentenced to life in prison. He had to stand before his peers and say, guys, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I repent. And then he, he was locked up. Wow. Yeah. The sentence was actually changed a little bit later on to house arrest, so he did not end up uh, living out his remaining days in prison. He lived out his final years at his house in Florence. Wow. Uh, much, much better. Yeah. Just sort of quarantine in his house. Just quarantine. <laughs> what about that? <laughs> <laughs> he was the OG quarantine guy. Uh, the Vatican finally admitted that Galileo was right in 1992, 359 years after he was tried by the Inquisition. They doubled down for a while. <laughs> they weren't to be deterred. They no. they had their ideas and they were sticking to them. And once this happened, you know, 359 years later, Galileo was issued a formal apology by the Pope. And you might say, well... I don't really know what to think about that at that point. Do you think Galileo received that in some cosmic way? He's just like, well, that's, uh, that's awful nice of you folks. Yeah. Maybe like 12 times great-grandchildren did or something. I don't know. Yeah. Now, there are parts of Galileo that are still around, which is just amazing to me. And when I say parts of Galileo... (laughs) It kind of creeped me out a little bit. (laughs) I'm not kidding. There are physical pieces of this man that still exist and that people have in their possession. Really? Yeah. When Galileo died, he was buried in a chapel in Florence, and nearly 100 years later, in 1737, as his remains were being transferred to a burial place of honor, three of his fingers, one vertebra, and a tooth were removed from his corpse. So like, where are those Where are those pieces of Galileo? Let's go into it, shall we? <laughs> oh, yes. I want to know. I'm, I'm extremely interested. So two of Galileo's fingers out of the three and the tooth were kept by one of his admirers and handed down through generations of his relatives as a keepsake. Can you just imagine this? You know, just kind of, I, I imagine Gollum from the Lord of the Rings, and you just kind of have the fingers and the tooth, and then this little baggie, and you're just kind of stroking the, the bag. And then, I mean, that's one thing. That's that's one level of crazy. Right. Right. The second level of crazy is when you hand that to your son and say, son, it's time. <laughs> I kind of imagine like a massive game of like, you know, Easter eggs, like hiding Easter eggs, you know, it's fine. Galileo's finger. Galileo, Galileo. <laughs> they just play that going Galileo on. Galileo finger roll. <laughs> 
I found it, Father. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Your birthright, son. <laughs> That's insane. Well, the items were thought to be lost sometime in the 1900s, but in 2009, the two fingers and tooth appeared at an auction and were purchased <laughs> by a private collector 11 years ago. Using historical documentation, experts later concluded that the fingers and tooth did indeed belong to Galileo. His third finger, the middle finger, has been housed at various museums since at least the 1800s, and his vertebra is at the University of Padua, where he taught from 1592 to 1610. <laughs> okay. All right, man. <laughs> We're going to go on. You, you have some new life goals now, though. It's like, you know, what pieces of Galileo can I collect? It's like bingo. That's you right. Know? He's got the middle finger. And then, you know. I have his patella. All right, man. So so who's up next? Okay, so I have a fully intact corpse. Okay. I think so. Well, um, after this podcast, I, I have to pass something down to you. I would be very interested in. I have an envelope here. So, Johannes Kepler was a German astronomer uh, who was born in 1571 and died in 1630. Kepler is best known for his laws of planetary motion that he published uh, really sort of collectively ongoing from 1609 until 1619. And Kepler realized that the planets did not follow a perfect circular path in their revolutions around the sun, but rather followed more of uh, an elliptical trajectory. And so okay. he basically created this model of like, hey, it's not perfect circles out there. It really looks like this. Burn the witch. <laughs> I could see no, I, could, I could just see him standing up and say, okay, folks, here's what we got. The, the sun is in the middle. All right, let's just get that out of the way. Furthermore, I know you all like perfect circles, but guess what? We don't have them. Then he may have saw some of the uh, townsfolks coming at at, at that point. I don't know, but he's cuffed, and that's it for him. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime you're going to speak out about something about space, you better be willing to go to jail for it. But uh, but yeah, so that that's kind of what he suggested. There is like you know based on uh, the uh, his observations and the timing of like when planets were in his his visible sight, and then sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't, and based on calculations, it's like really we can't have perfect like circular motions going on there has to be a little bit of, of a different sure. uh, geometric shape kind of that that's happening there so uh he published those and then of course uh a lot of what we know obviously about planetary motions and uh, a lot about astronomy and just planets in general and how the galaxy works is because of brother kepler that's pretty cool man <laughs> that's pretty cool awesome next up for discussion is sir isaac newton and i love that he has the sir in front of his name because that indicates he was knighted he was one of the the few scientist who was knighted by the queen, as it were. Newton was an English mathematician, physicist, astronomer, theologian, and author who is widely recognized as one of the most influential scientists of all time. And also, you know, there are Fig Newtons, which... I'm uh, a big fan. I, I like Fig <laughs> Newtons, too. Yeah, almost equally as much as Sir Isaac Newton <laughs> right. in the grand scheme of life. But among other things, Newton was responsible for the three laws of motion. He was the first to say that gravity was a universal force, meaning that any two bodies in the universe attract each other proportional to their mass, which we discussed earlier. And he invented calculus, the mathematical study of change. So if you've ever dreaded math class or calculus in general, can you imagine inventing calculus? That's a a big claim. 
I mean, like really on a resume, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I attended so-and-so university and I've, you know, yeah. published this book and right. uh, I invented calculus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have led with that, actually, yeah. you know, in front of the, you know, I used to flip cheeseburgers at, uh, I don't know, what, what would Sir Isaac Newton, where would he be working flipping cheeseburgers at? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure like a, like a the English sort of a smaller McDonald's. village somewhere. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Ye, ye old McDonald's. <laughs> ye Donald's. Ye Donald's. <laughs> All right. So, so I'm going to be honest. As a kid, I thought Newton was responsible for inventing gravity. <laughs> oh, I, I did too. And you're going like, yeah. to question my credentials now because uh, I've both revealed how I pronounce Copernicus and I've also <laughs> mentioned here that I thought Newton invented gravity. So <laughs> It's kind of like a Benjamin Franklin inventing electricity. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I imagine that people didn't, I don't know what I thought, like they didn't stick to the earth until <laughs> Newton discovered gravity. It's just everyone's floating around and he's like, Eureka! And then immediately everybody just kind of falls down like a lead ball to the earth yeah. i've discovered gravity <laughs> here are a few interesting facts about newton you remember the story of the apple and uh oh, yeah. isaac newton oh yeah uh, the story that newton was sitting under an apple tree an apple fell on his head and he suddenly had this big revelation about gravity for the most part that's entirely false don't tell me so i know I, I'm, I'm a heartbreaker today but thus is the work we do here in the slap cave the real story from newton himself is that he was looking out a window when he happened to see the fruit drop from a nearby tree but even then some scholars who have studied this story and other accounts by newton still think it's all just completely made up just completely fabricated that didn't happen newton worried quite a bit about the apocalypse it was always on his mind <laughs> i do too <laughs> he believed in fact that god had chosen him specifically to interpret the bible and concluded that the world would end no sooner than 2060 wow yeah so we're we're 40 years away from that huh that's interesting i didn't know that to his credit he's not been proven false yet <laughs> not yet <laughs> we'll see newton said quote this I mention not to assert when the time of the end shall be, but to put a stop to the rash conjectures of fanciful men who are frequently predicting the time of the end, and by doing so bring the sacred prophecies into discredit as often as their predictions fail. End quote. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty specific. That's pretty good. I really wish articulate. I had, had like an English accent because that would have been much better than whatever <laughs> I sort of ham-fistedly put it. forth there. Yeah. No, you did good. Yeah. Uh, Newton's dog once set his laboratory on fire, which ruined supposedly 20 years of research. Now, you have a dog, Jason. Yeah. Has, has Cody ever gotten in any mischief and, and ruined anything for you? Uh, he's really just eat uh, eating some pillows. Oh, really? <laughs> it's really all that Cody ever does. Yeah, he eats treats and pillows. Yeah. Other than that, he doesn't really bother anything. Okay. Yeah. So he's when, pretty he, laid when back. he does that, are you are you pretty calm and are you nice to him? Yeah, because it's Mindy's pillows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically trying to. I, I go to in, about. Yeah, I try yeah. to hide and sort of cover for him. Right. Okay. That's that's. I try cool. to hide the stuffing. So Newton's dog, once he set the house on fire, ruined 20 years of research. This is what Newton said to the dog. Quote, <laughs> O diamond, diamond, thou little knowest the mischief thou hast done. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> oh, well, I know the tattoo I'm getting. <laughs> what, would, what would happen if you walked into a tattoo parlor? They're like, hey, well, what will it be, man? And you're like, I want this <laughs> tattooed on my arm. That, that's uh, one of those scenarios where you have it written on a piece of paper and you just kind of slide it across the table, you know, and they just kind of have to look at it. They pick it up with wide eyes. You just you just look at them and say, two color. 
Oh, Diamond, Diamond, <laughs> thou little knowest the mischief thou hast done. <laughs> I don't know what. Uh, never mind. That composed? Was everyone that composed in this time where they can just speak in this perfect English? It's never like, <laughs> how dare you? you I know, think they, I'd be like, what are you just, doing? Look what yeah, you've done. That's right. Yeah. But thou little knowest the mischief thou hast done. It's I love it. It's poetic. Late in life, Newton suffered a nervous breakdown, but it probably wasn't his fault. Please seem calm. <laughs> he did. <laughs> wasn't Diamond's fault. Uh, a 1979 examination of Newton's hair, and I have to question, why are pieces of these guys <laughs> so easy to find? dead for hundreds of years. <laughs> well, in 1979, we have his hair, and it showed astronomical amounts, pun intended, of mercury, uh, probably as a result of all of his alchemy experiments, because Newton believed in the philosopher's stone and in the whole process of alchemy. Have you ever heard of the philosopher's stone? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was said to have the power to turn lead into gold. Right. It's part of this transmutation, you know, turning one piece of matter into another one. And Newton spent a significant portion of his life looking into it and trying to find hmm. out if that were really possible, so much to the extent that he used or overused mercury, and that may have led to his, his breakdown. Poisoned himself, probably. Yeah, it, it can drive a person insane in large amounts, and that may have been his downfall overall hmm. so that's interesting so jason that's all the information i have anything else you want to add about astronomy the stars any anything else to mention it's here? just a really cool topic and uh i hope that eddie and Cohen enjoyed this and once again happy anniversary happy anniversary guys and thanks to all of our listeners who are following the podcast we encourage you to subscribe and share the podcast with a friend you can also follow us on social media you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram with the handle at slapdash pod and we'll catch you in the next episode take care let's get to that space invaders game <laughs>